Hi, podcast listeners. My name is Madison Hopkins, and this is Modern Ways. Modern Ways is a guide to eco-friendly homes. And on this podcast, I combine sustainability and real estate for people who want to change their home environment. In each episode, my guests and I empower you with fundamental knowledge so you can create your eco-friendly home and thus change the world around you. Thanks for tuning in today. I really appreciate you being here and hope you learned something new. So let's hop on in to the modern ways of eco-friendly homes. Hi, podcast listeners. Welcome back to Modern Ways Eco-Friendly Homes. Today, we have Rachel Norton as our guest. Rachel and I have been working on a Solarize project together for the past, I don't know, month. And we were actually just laughing that we talked all the way back in July about recording this podcast episode and that we got really, really focused in on our Solarize project together that we're just now getting to it. And it's October. So let's introduce Rachel. Hi, Rachel. Hey, Madison. (laughs) How's it going today? Good. I'm loving this fall weather. And since I'm a home energy nerd, I was like looking at my heating and realizing I don't even need my heat today. I can just have the beautiful breeze go through. So that feels good. Yeah, I see you have your window open. I just noticed that actually. Yeah. That does feel really nice. I I live in Denver, as you know, but just for reiteration for podcast guests. Yeah, I live in Denver and it's it's been really nice lately. It's not too hot with the windows open in the day and it's not too cold with them open at night. And you're in Lexington, Kentucky, right? Yes. And that's where you're from? Yep, grew up here. Definitely a Midwesterner at heart. My whole family is, but I've lived in Kentucky as long as I can remember and I call it my home. Nice. So where is Midwest for you? Because I know like different parts of the country have different definitions for Midwest. That's fair. Yeah, I guess like my parents say that about our family and they're mostly like Illinois people. There are a lot of like, yeah, a lot of people live in Chicago for a really long time. And then a lot of people still live kind of like south side, but the suburbs further out. So like kind of Midwest, not all that, not all that far west, really. That's fair. Just being from Louisiana, like the concept of Midwest, I feel like is so broad. And we're like, okay, where is mid and how far west? It's like, it's like two thirds of our country. So you yeah, that, <laughs> <laughs> that whole two thirds of country, but then you officially hit like west somewhere. Somewhere, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. Well, yeah. So Rachel, you do home energy audits besides the Solarize project that we have going on together. So I just want to tell everyone about that real quick. Rachel, last year, was it last year you did the Solarize Kentucky? Yeah, 2019. Yeah. So just last year, Rachel and two other people put their efforts together and they got 30, correct me if I'm wrong, but 30 solar panels on homes in Lexington, Kentucky. And so that's a huge thing. That's a huge win, a huge accomplishment. And so she has inspired myself and one other, our mutual friend, Lucho, who was episode one. He talked about solar panels. So Lucho was episode one. He introduced me to Rachel, who's now episode, I don't even know what this is, like nine. Uh, Don't quote me on that. (laughs) And then, yeah, so we three have been working together along with some other people in Denver, and we are working on Solarizing USA. And so you got into that, Rachel, because you're in home energy audits, and that is what we're here to talk about today. 
Yeah, I and I am just like an overall energy nerd, right? Like I do the home energy audits and I do that across Eastern Kentucky. Haven't been doing those so much because COVID slash 2020, whatever. <laughs> I don't even know the world anymore. But I also work with small businesses and I can just do things without being on site, like look at people's bills and see what might be going on if they're really high. And I did become a certified energy manager this past year, one good thing out of 2020. And so that kind of gave me a broader understanding of like the, the small commercial businesses and even the industrial customers that I might work with, which is fun. But yeah, I mean, I'm also just a local environmental advocate and activist and Kentucky has been like, we've just had legislation that's been trying to, it's been kind of attacking resident owned solar for years. And it finally got some ground this past year and is trying to move forward. They're trying to end solar net metering in Kentucky, utility companies are, that is. And it's been really challenging, but we realized that that was coming. And so we said, well, we may as well see if we can organize as volunteers and get solar on as many roofs as we can in 2019. So we just did that as volunteers. And, but yeah, 30 rooftops is awesome. It, it doubled the amount of rooftop solar owned by individuals in Lexington, which is kind of wild. But you got to start somewhere. And yeah, and I'm excited that you, me, and Lucha are working on stuff, trying to figure out how we can do even more. So I want to ask you to clarify and elaborate for our listeners what is net metering and why the utility companies were trying to end that in Lexington, Kentucky. Yeah, so this is definitely uh, contested um, in my state right now, and it can get really into the weeds. But essentially what net metering is, as it stands right now, is as a homeowner, if you put solar panels on your roof, they're connected to the electricity in your house. So lots of times when you're using your refrigerator or your heater, this electricity straight from your panels is actually going straight into your house and you're actively using it and you're not needing any extra electricity coming in from the grid outside of your house, which most of the time remains connected in almost all circumstances, at least in Kentucky, um, where we have solar panels. But sometimes your panels are producing that electricity and you don't need it because you're asleep or yeah, you have a different schedule, whatever it is, or you just have, are producing extra because it's a super sunny day. And when that happens and you're connected to the grid, you send that electricity out on the grid. And so it's contested what happens when you send energy out, basically. Because right now, when you send energy out, you get a credit on your energy bill um, to cover that. Uh, and you could never, in Kentucky, you could never get a check for that. You can only just use it later, basically. Hence the like net of the net metering. So in other states, in other states, are they able to um, receive a check for that net metering instead of just using it later? Because I remember talking with Lucho, like with the net metering, it can come back, like you can receive a positive bill from your energy company, like you're receiving money back. So Kentucky, you're saying is not one of those states. Right. Yeah. Because other states, you can do that, which is really awesome if you're producing extra. But yeah, in Kentucky, even if you produced more than you could ever use and you're just sending it out, you you can only receive a credit form okay. of compensation. You can't receive money for it, 
which is, I mean, not that many people want to oversize their system on their roof to make a little bit of extra cash on their utility bill because it doesn't necessarily like help them out to do that, <laughs> to buy more solar. But that's, I guess it's like putting renewable energy onto the grid. So that's always really good. But yeah, so in Kentucky, it's being debated. Well, it's pretty much going to be finalized most likely next year. But instead of it being like one kilowatt of electricity sent out, you get one kilowatt of credit. They're saying that it needs to be a wholesale rate, which means you send one kilowatt out, you get a third of a kilowatt of credit. Hmm. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. fair to me. I'm not, yeah, I'm not really seeing how that's beneficial to people. Like if you're creating your own energy from solar, then why, I mean, like you said, you know, if it's like a cold, long winter month, then maybe your solar systems aren't giving as much, you're not getting a lot of energy out of the solar system. So that, yeah, what is the incentive for this? Like, I guess it's just so the energy companies like will allow solar, but are still maintaining some sort of skin in the game. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't help customers. <laughs> it's not helpful for them to get a good return on their investment, which is why a lot of people are fighting it. It is convenient for utility companies and it does make it really easy for them to continue to invest in solar panels and build these giant solar farms and make a good return on their investment. But it's, it's my opinion that they're making it really hard for just like everyday people to try to make their own investment in solar. Like our utilities are already a monopoly and it seems pretty unfair that they want a monopoly on solar too. So that's where the solar battery pack comes in handy. Right. Yeah, you just go off grid, you got your battery pack, you're like, all right, if you're gonna play that game, I can play too. Although that's really expensive. <laughs> I love the idea of the battery pack because whenever I say that word, I, I instantly envision like a person walking around with an actual battery backpack and it just makes me feel so efficient. Like I've got my battery pack. I'm, I'm so powerful. It's <laughs> <laughs> not what it is at all, but it might as well be. <laughs> and so I also wanted to ask you just from what you said already is that you are an energy audit manager. So how is the energy audit manager different than what, what's the regular energy audit person? Yeah, I guess. So my, my two like main certifications are a building analyst. And that is actually the one that I started out with to like just be a residential energy auditor. And that's like, if anybody is listening to this and they want to do that, it takes a week. You can totally do it. So that's a really cool one to have. And it lets you do a lot. It's one of those things that they always told me, like, now you're certified, go get qualified because it, you get all the information, right? But it really to know what you're doing experience is so key. I feel like, I mean, you're always learning, but I feel like it took me probably two years before I felt like I really understood a couple of the things I needed to. But then the certified energy manager one is more broad and that one is internationally recognized, which is nice. Not that I'm going to be flying anywhere international anytime soon, but yeah, that kind of has me at every level of residential, commercial, industrial, and is international. So it's just like more broad and kind of more similar to my 
original education, just like being an engineer. And it's the certification that's run by the American Society of Energy Engineers. So. Okay. Yeah. So run by the engineer, American Society of Engineers. Is that what you said, the American Society? Yeah, yeah, I think that's what it is, AEE. Okay, cool. So yeah, you added this on to your education and, and how do you like to utilize that in addition to what you do or is that pretty much only what you do now is the energy audits? These days I do a lot of different things. I like have a full-time job at a nonprofit. And so I, I do, I do a lot of stuff online. I do a lot of write-ups for people and their small businesses just because that's where the need seems to be right now. Um, so I'll write up like a comparison if they need a new heating and cooling unit, I can say like, oh, well, I can compare the price of gas and this particular unit you're looking at with its efficiency with another one that's like that's electric and it runs in this way and I can tell you how much it'll cost to run that one and install it versus the other one and so it's, it's I do a lot of crunching numbers it's not like terribly uh, glamorous these days but but it is fun to connect with people about their buildings and, and help them just make them more comfortable and uh, nicer spaces to be in and I guess maybe feel like they're more manageable yeah. So how does that change for people before the energy audit and after the energy audit? You know, one thing that I learned, and I wish I still knew the percentage of this, but like just having an energy audit will save you energy. It was something like it'll save you like 8% or so, like something just because you have someone come and look at your house or your business and then you start thinking about it. So you like turn some extra light off or you like right after you like read their report, you do a couple of things, but people just tend to think about it more just from having that happen. That actually makes sense. I just am going to give like a relevant example or something I think is relevant. So like <laughs> maybe like two weeks ago, I went to this like wellness it was like a free wellness exam and you know I, I I didn't buy anything. I didn't like buy a whole packet to like continue going, but I did buy fish oil. And so and I know that I need to take my B vitamins. So like I think the the analogy would be that just by going to the wellness center and getting like my bodily reports back that I might be 8% healthier just by like taking more vitamins that I need. Yeah, exactly. A hundred percent. And like, and like maybe when you got back from that, you're like, Oh, I'm going to drink some more water today. Just because I'm thinking about wellness. Yeah. Um, we'll do an extra yoga session. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I feel like same kind of thing. And actually the fact that you bring that up is really interesting because for probably the past three years, I've become really interested in the intersection between health and energy efficiency. And I mean, especially with the global health crisis um, going on, it's just become even more relevant. So I've been talking with a lot of people about what are things to think about, what are ways you can measure your indoor environment and, and what you can do about it. And I've I've learned a ton and I also, I had written these, this down in our notes. I actually have like learned a ton since we wrote these notes. 
and I have this like as a nerd I like had this whole like house monitoring system and I, I like have a new one because I, I let my friend use my old one I was using but when I moved into this new house I was like I want the air quality monitored for two months and I want to figure it out and then I want to monitor it again when I have to turn my heat on and it's really interesting I have so much fun doing it and it's all related like just like COVID and climate change and energy efficiency and health yeah your monitor sounds like another analogy here is like Fitbit for your health. hundred percent. Yes, exactly right. Yeah. And I, it's, yeah, it's like your like nerdy thing you can buy so you can like know all the information exactly. And it's fun because you can do something and you can see the change. And that's one thing, like I talked to a couple of my friends out West who are dealing with wildfires and bad air quality. And so we could talk about like, you can legitimately get a fan and strap a high-rated filter to one side and just put it in your house and run it. And just different things that have actually proven to be somewhat effective. But then also just monitoring your air because sometimes, I don't know, like we can kind of get in our heads about it and think that we need to do something or, or change something or buy a filtration system that costs hundreds or thousands of dollars when lots of times if I let someone use the air quality monitor for a little while I find out that they just like they spray this really strong cleanser on their counter every day and then the VOCs the volatile organic compounds rise in their air for a little while and they were like I'm so concerned about what's in my house and I was like well what are you doing when that happens and they were like oh I'm just going to change my cleaner it's that easy so yeah, I've, I'm loving exploring all that right now. Nice. Yeah, that's really cool that the monitor can show you that. So that way you're you're making a $30 change to get new cleaner versus like you said, thousands of dollars to like change multiple things. Yeah. Hmm. That actually reminds me, Wanda, who was on my last podcast episode, you're just connecting a bunch of dots for me. <laughs> this is the dot connection episode. <laughs> but Wanda was saying like pretty much the same thing, you know, people, people think that it's one thing and then you get something tested and then it's, it's a very, oh, she was talking about that with the soil. Like you get a soil test and you think that you need to put all these chemicals in it and all these pesticides. And she's like, well, no, just get the, the soil test. And it might turn out all you're doing is watering it too much or all it needs is a little bit less water. So it's the exact same thing that like, really it's just a simple change. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, and yeah, with your wellness example too, it's just like, I mean, I've gone to get a wellness check, just like a normal one at my doctor's office and get my blood tests. And they're like, oh, like, it'd be really good for you to take like more vitamin D in the winter. And you said like, <laughs> oh, yeah, you're right. It would be <laughs> it is highly recommended. And most people are vitamin D deficient year round anyways. Great. <laughs> yeah. So, but like, yeah, you realize like, oh, there's like, oh, I haven't been feeling good, but there's this like really simple thing I can do once I know what's going on. And I think that's probably one of the most satisfying pieces of my job is I don't have to guess. I can give you, I can like test almost anything in a house and give you an answer. And if I can't give you an answer, then the nice thing about, the, I feel like this community is everyone's always working together to make it better. 
So even if I don't know an answer, I know like four or five people I can call who know more than me. And they're always like, everybody's always very generous and wants to like, there's no like trade secrets, right? It's like energy efficiency has been the same for a really long time. And so has home building and home solutions. It's not like anyone's, yeah, keeping any secrets about it. What's one of the craziest things you've come across? Like you can, you can go crazy like this. I don't know. I don't even know like what you could come across. So I can't, I can't really frame that anymore for you. Yeah, I'm trying to think. There's this one story, which I didn't personally come across this, but one of the things that happens like for the nonprofit job that I work at, we'll go do a whole home energy audit and we'll do a full retrofit on the house with like a new heat pump, better insulation, air sealing the home and things like that. So we'll do all of it and manage that. And then we watch the bills to make sure they stay low or they like stay where we estimated they would be because we were like, well, we did all these work for these folks and we said it would be around this. So we want to make sure it's right. And if it's not right, usually we catch it um, beforehand, but sometimes somebody will just call and be like, I got this astronomical bill. I have no idea what's going on. And so we go out there and and oftentimes it's stuff that's just happened that like wasn't even anybody's fault. But like in Kentucky, there's a lot of crawl spaces under houses. And this happened several times where like the ductwork under the house, you have your heating unit and there's ductwork that goes to all the vents in your house. And one duct had just like fallen on the ground and was just like blowing heat outside <laughs> under the crawl space. And we were like, oh, we figured out why. So I feel like, and, and her like heat bill was like six or $700 that month. And then we like fixed it and it went back down to like 200. And we were like, yeah, when you are heating and cooling the outside, you're going to spend a lot of money. But so I think that was like, that wasn't like a result of anything that people had worked on before. It wasn't like, because, you know, the energy audit happened, someone came out to check on the air ducts and then the air ducts fell and just like, I, don't, I mean, it had been two years since we had been out there. So I, I don't even, I can't remember for sure, but I don't remember that we even worked on the ductwork at that job. And sometimes like, like a plumber has to go out and check a pipe, right? And somebody hits something, but it doesn't fall, but later it does. I don't, I'm like, I work on a lot of pretty old houses. So I feel like you almost like you go to do work and you find like eight more things. <laughs> that are in need of attention and you're like, well, we'll just do our best. So yeah. And I think, I feel like that's probably the craziest thing that's happened. That's not like gross. Cause there's <laughs> also like gross things that happen. And I'm like, not sure how much people know about that. Okay. Give us a small example, like not the grossest thing. Cause yeah, not the grossest, but something that like, I guess like one thing that I, it didn't even like, yeah, unfortunately there's a lot of dead animal ones, but they're like long dead by the time I get there usually. But one thing that happened was just another duct that had fallen down and this was on like an audit. So this was the first time I was there and it had fallen down under the house and there was like a dead possum near it. And like, it was near, you have the supply side and the return side and it was near a return side duct. So that meant like air was being pulled across the dead possum 
and back up and that's not nearly the grossest thing I've seen but that was like I was like yeah like it's not fun to get your call like to go in your call space but it's good to check it or to pay someone else to check it because you just never know what's down there yeah so they were breathing in dead possum air for a while okay nice yeah. these are reasons to get your home energy audit well, these are the reasons or at least like poke a flashlight down there make sure things are like held up or something like yeah if you don't want to go down there phone a friend to just like make sure things aren't falling down so how does a home energy audit differ from like a home inspection so i know you know when you when you're buying a house or when you're selling your house and someone's buying it they're gonna go through inspection and the energy aspect of that it sounds very similar but also different because it's not included paint a little picture for us if you would like what is the difference and how do people obtain an energy audit as well yeah so i would say there's probably a couple differences like i but i'm just thinking about it more generally like when i got because i got an inspection on this home which felt funny to like hire a different type of house inspector when i'm a kind of house inspector but they definitely know more about like i i never look at plumbing i'll tell you if i find a leak but i don't know anything about plumbing and i don't really care to i'm not a good plumber and and they also home inspectors can tell you more about the structure like the soundness of the structure uh, and also like code and enforcement so they'll look at a lot of stuff like that and i think examples of things that i found on my report I wouldn't have noticed where like, they're like, oh, you have box gutters and they look like they're not in great shape. And I was like, I wouldn't have looked at that on a house. I do care about water and I will walk around a house to see if the earth is sloping away slightly and see if on the drain pipes there's water is actually angled away from the house when it falls off. But I don't go through and check the gutters. I just kind of look to make sure nothing like really bad is happening. So I think, yeah, serious water, electrical, and foundational issues would be your home inspector. And they do look at a lot of the things that I look at. I just go more in depth. And I probably, the things that I would check that they would not would be trying to run through something. Like, I'll, like, I'll check every appliance and what the efficiency of the appliance is. I'll see how many lights there are, which I don't think that they would be concerned with that unless it was a wiring issue. And I'll actually do testing. And I think that's like the biggest difference is I like do my blower door tests on the house to see what the leakage rate is on every single house I do, which is honestly a really big part of the audit because air sealing your house, your house properly and safely is like, one of the cheapest things you can do and it can save you a bunch of money if you have a leaky house like if all you need is caulk and spray foam and that can cost you like 200 bucks or less and you can just spend a weekend sealing up cracks like that can save you hundreds of dollars if you have really high bills so i think that's definitely a bigger part and i look at the energy bills and things like that too and you have another question about you're like what's the difference in what oh like how do people go about obtaining an energy audit but i also want to ask you in a, just a bit to elaborate on the blower door test i'm going to jot that down so 
Yeah, so I guess really quick about obtaining, it's different depending on where you live. And unfortunately, where I live, like a lot of places you can call your utility company and they'll come out and there might be a fee or it just depends on their structure. Some of them will just do them. Like every person gets one if you've lived in your house for X amount of months or something like that. Um, so it really depends on your state, but wherever you are, calling your utility company is a pretty good bet. And after that, I would consider places like community action councils or uh, weatherization programs in your areas, which are often tied to utilities, but not all the time. And then there's people like me that just do contract work. And I don't do a lot of it right now because I do, because I do have a full-time job, but I've, I'm doing it more recently and I'm just figuring out ways that I can do it virtually, which is a challenge, but I, there's more solutions than I thought. And, it, and the main reason why, which this is to answer your other question, the main reason why it's so challenging is because of tests that I have to run. So the main one being the blower door test, any house needs that test or it's best to have it done. And if I'm not on site, then I can't do that. However, I, the way that it works, I'll say this first, the way that it works is it's literally a giant fan that's put in your front door and it pulls air out of the house and the fan, it basically measures how hard does this fan have to run to pull air at a certain speed out of your house. And that's like your leakage rate. Oh, okay. So it's not like, specific to your left window in the front corridor is leaking it's not you like feel it and that's like one thing that a virtual yeah you wouldn't be able to do but when I run one in a house I walk around and I there's a lot of things that I can just tell like if I walk through the basement door and I feel like a whoosh of air I'm like okay most of this is coming from the basement and I can also walk around and do things like almost all the way closed doors. And if the door closes itself the rest of the way, I'm like, okay, a lot of air is coming from there. You can also use smoke. People do that just to see like where air is blowing from, get little smoke pens. And sometimes people, when you have a climate that has good contrast, like you get really hot days when you need a lot of really cool air inside or really cold days and need a lot of really hot air inside, you can use an infrared camera and you can literally see where like the cold air is coming in. Which so is you would just, to look at. Would you just walk around inside the house while the fan is blowing and hold up the infrared camera and see? Yeah. Oh, okay. It's, cool. it's really fun because it's like blue and red and orange and streaky and wild. And that's fun. And so it, it stinks to not be able to do that. But the one thing about that stuff too, though, that that's helpful to most folks is like, most people know where their leaks are. Like, you know where your house isn't comfortable. You know where your feet are cold or you, you know where the draft is. It's usually simple, yeah, simple places you experience every day. And also things like cobwebs are actually a sign. Like cobwebs only form where airflow happens. So if you see cobwebs or you see like more dust collecting in some area, you're like, oh, okay, that's a spot that gets airflow. So um, just paying more attention to it, you could figure out where it was coming from. But I guess that makes sense because like the spiders that make the cobwebs want to be where bugs fly and bugs, yeah. fly, the air enters. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Thanks for clarifying the blower door test because I would, 
I really wanted to know. And for a moment I had this image of like, I think this is when they do the termites, but they put the tent over your Yeah. Does she do that? (laughs) It almost, I think people have almost mistaken it for that because they're like not used to seeing it, but it's just like this like canvas wrap in the front door. And then there's like a big fan at the bottom. But yeah, sometimes if people don't see that it's a fan, they're like, something happened at the neighbor's house. Yeah, do the neighbors have termites? Do we have termites? Yeah. That's when you you get free promotion, walk over to the neighbor's house. I don't know if you saw this, but we did a home energy audit. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I had little signs for a while back when I was doing them more. And when I was um, first out of college, this is really cheesy, but my business was called Rachel Saves the World, and I had signs. So I would, like, have my sign in the front, and, like, the neighbor would have one if they wanted one, the whole thing. That's so cute. <laughs> I love that. It was fun. Somewhere in the, like, ether of my computer is, like, a little, I did, like, a, what is it? I guess a startup competition. I did some kind of competition, a pitch competition. And you had to make this video, and and I had, like, a cape and everything. It was, like, very cheesy. <laughs> Oh my god, I, <laughs> I request to see this. Yeah. I'll find, I'm, yeah, I'm sure I can find it somewhere. I have no idea where it is now, but it's not gone. It exists. Well, Rachel, for the sake of keeping a podcast within a, a listenable time frame, do you have anything else that you would love to talk about before we wrap this up? Like, do you want to dive into the, the health of having a home energy audit a little bit more? Or do you want to talk about your nonprofit? Yeah, I would love to talk a little bit more about health and then just give people, I'll give people a few quick, like, reminders about this stuff because My first reminder is always like a lot of accidents happen in your house and it's because we feel so safe and we don't feel like we have to really be on our guard in our spaces. Mm -hmm. So it's just really important if you decide you want to get curious about any of this stuff that you like, if you're going to go up in your attic, like be careful, wear some glasses. If you don't wear glasses every day, like wear some safety glasses in case insulation falls down into your eyes and maybe even wear a little mask if you smell a weird smell when you go up there, just don't be afraid to like protect yourself really well. If you're not used to doing this stuff, buy a carbon monoxide monitor if you haven't do it yesterday. And let's see what was on my list. If you, if you have gas for your heating, either for your home or for your water heater, or really for anything in your house, just make sure that your appliances are regularly tested or tested at some point. And especially if you decide you want to, you're like, oh, I'm thinking about energy efficiency and I know I've needed to seal up my house. So I'm just going to start working on it. Just make sure those appliances are tested ideally before and after you do that. Because one thing, and this is like the biggest safety thing of my job is if you are living in a home, like these appliances, like literally like combustion is happening in your house all the time Um, and it's in this nice little box so you don't see it but it's like yeah fire and gas are just happening which does create carbon monoxide and other other things that can get into your home but carbon monoxide is the biggest one to be worried about and the problem is is if you seal it up really tight and you haven't tested those sometimes some of those things can backdraft like pull into your house so just being making sure whatever you're doing you're like 
talking to a contractor that does that kind of work, whether it's an auditor or a heating and air person would be able to help you with that too. But safety is definitely a big thing. And that's one of the hardest things about trying to do this virtually right now is I either have to find a way to be in somebody's house if they're comfortable with it and do that in a safe way or or if I'm far away and I can't do a virtual audit because it's like 300 miles away, I'd have to find someone else who can go do a test to make sure it's safe. So I actually have one more question for you. Yeah, go for it. Um, new home versus old home. Ooh. <laughs> is that, it, yeah, is it, is it drastically obvious or are they pretty similar a lot of the times? You know, so I just bought my first home and it was built in 1904. And I wanted an old home because I've seen all these homes of all ages and it turns out all of them need a ton of work no matter what i've seen houses that have just been built and they still need all this maintenance i'm like well if i'm gonna do a ton of work it may as well be this like old like house full of character but your question is more like just how i can tell how old it is um, no, I think my question is more so, I mean, because that's in like the, the history of the building, like on public records, but like, no, yeah, you pretty much answered my question, like, does one need more work than the other? And you were saying, no, they all need, you know, energy work. They all could be more efficient. And because I, I hear the same thing, you know, buying a new house, people are like, oh, I don't want to buy a new house, you know, or sorry, I don't want to buy an old house. I want to buy a new house because things are gonna break less. And I'm like, mm, that's not that's really true. true. <laughs> that's why they literally give you like, your beginning two to three year warranty is because things are gonna break. And it just depends too, like, it depends on who builds your house. Like if you have a builder that's really conscious and, and you're willing to pay like upfront, like, cause it's more expensive to have like good quality materials that's just like, something we haven't been able to figure out how to get around yet. But if you have someone building your house that's doing it right and really thinking holistically, then I think a new house is great. I've seen a lot of people build really not great houses. I've seen some people in Kentucky building like simple houses that are actually great and some people building houses in Kentucky and not putting any insulation in the attic and the homeowner doesn't think to check and then has like a thousand dollar utility bill three months in a row and it's like, that was like an easy thing, right? I was like, what happened to the punch list there? So I think it definitely is like who your builder is. I, yeah, I mean, I think I've only been in one home that's newer that I was like, you guys don't really have that much to do. Like get solar, you're there. And that was one of those pre-manufactured houses, which really surprised me. But I guess the newer ones, like they have it all set up beforehand and then they just tighten it up like crazy on site because it was like it wasn't leaky at all like i was like i wouldn't recommend sealing up anymore because you'll be too tight yeah the modular homes right yeah yeah i've, I've heard that too like there's a level between like when you're going efficient in your house or like when the builder is building efficient you, they have there's like a spot that's the sweet spot between being very, very efficient and being too tight to where absolutely no airflow goes in or out because then you're just like recirculating your own air. And I've met one builder in Denver when he builds really tight. And so he has the system 
his AC system flow air out and pull new air in because yeah. it won't do it on its own. Yeah, yeah, and that is like what's becoming more popular is just having a mechanical ventilation set up for really tight homes. And that's also why every time I do a blower door test, I actually do compare that number to what's known as the building airflow standard, which is unique to each home. So I like measure, it's, it's literally the amount of air inside your house. I make a volumetric measurement of that and compare it to the leakage rate I get. And so you can literally, yeah, you can know how much can be going in or out. And I think it's pretty cool that people are building and doing mechanical ventilation. I think, I think that'll probably become more necessary. I mean, I guess we'll have to be figuring something out in places like out west where we're having fires. Houses are going to have to be really tight and have to have filtration systems and mechanical ventilation and stuff like that. So I think that it's smart to be doing that. Yeah, I actually did, I do agree that, you know, if our air quality continues to be pretty rough, that we are, a lot of people are, a lot of builders and designers are going to start thinking about that a little bit more than they do already. I also want to add that I didn't even consider that before I heard that the home can be too tight, that you have to flow air in and out because, you know, the earth does that for us. It circulates the air anyways and and it filters the air and so i hadn't thought about that until until then but it's totally relevant so thank you so much for being on the podcast today rachel thank you so much for being my guest and for being here before we hop off i'd like to add that this podcast episode is sponsored by hopkins dermatology located in monroe louisiana that is my mother and father's dermatology practice my mom is the best of the best so shout out to her and him for sponsoring this podcast episode and they are phenomenal so thanks for being on this episode rachel and i really look forward to getting this published yeah, thanks so much, Madison. It was a great time. Yeah, I'll see you on our next Solarize meeting. Sounds good. Bye. Explorers of Modern Ways, thank you so much for tuning in today. You can find more of me on Instagram at Moving with Madison and YouTube, Moving with Madison. YouTube is where I post the video recording of each episode, so you can watch along if you please. I hope you learned something new today, and that helps you take a tangible step towards creating.